Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Oh, look at my front butt. <laughs> characters that 
you feel for, but yet you know are are not good. They're not all they're not moral people. Um, so that's really what we're trying to do with this. And you can watch the short right now. Um, it's on my website. It's on the Kickstarter. You can. It's on YouTube, Vimeo. So it's just about 15 minutes and basically like a long trailer for anyone to watch so you guys can see basically what we're trying to do with the feature length. The feature will, you'll get to know the character a lot more and kind of kind of learn like who she is and how she became this way. Yeah. And from, I watched it before at the fest. It seems to me that her character is a cross between Joe Spinell's and Maniac. And Leatherface more from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one than any of the sequels. Yes. Um, thank you for saying that. Well, you probably know how much I love both of those films. But um, for me, it was actually originally more so of an inspiration of Leatherface. Like I saw her from the start as like my female, very feminine, very a very glamorous version of, of a Leatherface. Um, and I've always been attracted to how Leatherface is portrayed in the original film. I think he's completely changed in all the remakes and everything. But in the original, he really cowers. Like, he doesn't really seem to me to have, like, these evil intentions. To me, it seems like he's just kind of doing what what he's supposed to do or what he thinks he's supposed to do. He's feeding his family. He's really just hunting and feeding his family. Um, and, you know, the family tells him what to do. He's kind of like a little child under all of that. Like he has to hide under this disguise and he's always kind of. Yeah. And uh, you can tell his mood in the movie by what mask he's wearing. Exactly. Um, and then what's interesting is I didn't, this will like maybe call me out as a fake horror fan in a way, but so I didn't see Maniac growing up. I don't know how that one like skipped me somehow, and so I didn't see it till I was you know in my twenties. The I saw the remake and the original around the same time, and I was like, holy crap! Uh, I of course love it because it's another film, or it's actually maybe one of the first horror films where you know the film is told from the killer's perspective. You know, every other film, even Texas Chainsaw, is told from the victims. And so that was one where you actually got to follow the bad guy around and get to know him instead of the opposite. And as gruesome as Maniac is, he's also, you know, a tragic character that we get to see him be emotional. And so I was like, wow, it's almost, you'd really think that this was my complete inspiration, but I didn't grow up seeing Maniac, but it's totally my my type of horror film. Um, uh, she was, the film was also really inspired by May, Lucky McKee's film from 2002. Oh, I love Which that. is another film. Yeah, which is another film where, like, you know, the, the film is told from her perspective where she's not exactly a serial killer, but, you know, she is the, quote, like, monster of the movie. And kind of, I love how that film is, like, just her, like, She's like almost like it's like a normal, it's like a weird, quirky drama, and then it turns into a horror film near the end of the movie. And that movie is wildly inspiring for me. I think you could kind of see it if you're a big fan of May. The end of the movie, she's sitting in front of her vanity. We do the same thing in the stylist. Um, visually, it was very inspired by that scene. Um, yeah, I think I just went on a rant there. 
But yeah, I kind of think all those characters have a lot of similarities. Maniac, May, Leatherface, they're all, at least the way they're portrayed, they're, we get to see more of them than just like, oh, he's just some bad, evil person. We actually get to see lay, like depths into these characters. My favorite Leatherface moment in one is after he kills the second one of the kids. He goes to the yeah. window and just sat there outside with his hand in his head like, where the fuck is all these people coming from? Oh, my God, <laughs> yes. And you're, you made me think of this is, this is totally not an idea I, should take, I can take credit for, but I was on a podcast a couple of years ago and they brought up that moment. And, like, whoever it was said, you know, you could almost look at Texas Chainsaw, the original, as like a home invasion film for the family like Leatherface isn't going out and like trying to get any of these victims he's not chasing you know he chases you know of course Sally at the end but I mean everyone comes to them it's like he's just sitting at home and everyone's disturbing him coming into his house and then then they get killed but I never thought about like someone they're really it isn't one of those movies where they're being chased it's like each character one by one goes to the house (laughs) um Really well, I've always said that about the Halloween movie with uh, Busta Rhymes in it. Michael oh my. Myers is, is in his resurrection? house. Yeah, Resurrection. Michael Myers is in his ha- family house, and these eight buttholes come into it. I'm sure the other killings he go to jail, but those he could get off. <laughs> you know. Because they broke well, into his house. They come busting in my house like that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I like to see that when I see a short at, well, a cage that all of a sudden, boom, blow up, and they make feature films out of it. Like uh, the ones I've seen in KHF is like Baskin. Was that a short film first? Yeah. I did not know, but I do. I have been following that filmmaker, and I do like his work a lot. Right now, why is his name escaping me for some reason? I'm overall. Yes. Yeah, that's been our, it's been my hope from the start to make it a feature. When I first kind of had the idea for the story, I... I saw it as a feature film, but at that time I had only directed one short film and it was Call Girl, my first film. And so I was just, you know, very unexperienced and at the time. So I was like, we should, I just knew we should have, we needed to make it into a short film first before I even attempted to make something longer. Um, yeah. Well, the now, first time I could see you, I could tell later, you as a director because even though you were just casually talking, you were moving your arms and looking around like a traffic cop. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, it's like, okay, oh, you go over here, you go over here, okay, I'm well, talking to him, you go over there, okay, let's do <laughs> Well, I guess I can say I have always been a... I don't want to call myself controlling, but I definitely probably am. <laughs> I do like to well, like you have to, to be a show. successful filmmaker. 
even if you're just letting your cast improvise, you have to have let people know that there is control there or else it'll just be chaos. Yeah. You do want to have a confident leader in a situation like this, but he, but I also mean I'm not I've learned through the years how to be much better at collaborating and cuz that's what this whole filmmaking is really about. But I think as a when you have a vision, it can be easy to get really sensitive about new ideas, but then once you just let go of that, you're like, wow, all anyone wants to do is help make this more awesome. So it's good to be open to all that. And how far have you gotten on your Kickstarter uh, so far? Well, we're almost, we're just a few hundred from 17,000, which is really exciting. We are on our 11th day of the campaign. We have 25 days to go, and we've got $30,000 to go, guys. So it's still quite a bit more money. Um, we're trying to raise 46500 And just to remind people who don't know about Kickstarter, if we don't make our goal, all that money disappears. Um, if we have to reach the goal or no movie. I mean, we'll find a way to make this damn movie, but we would like to make it with your guys' help. <laughs> Um, but I think it is going well, and we actually have some exciting announcements to drop here in the next couple of weeks. I've been kind of waiting to tell people so it would help, you know, boost up the campaign again. Um, a couple casting announcements and so and such. And she is a stylist, so the movie's going to look good no matter how much money she has. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the I mean, set. If you watch the short film, I'm very proud of how beautiful it looks, and that's in large part thanks to all the you – know, our, our production designer, Sarah Sharp, and our cinematographer, Robert Stern, who both of them will be back for the feature. They're also my producers on the feature, too. We're producing it all three together, and they're just wildly talented. I mean, they taught me how to make films when we made the short because, like I said, it was my only short – my second film at the time. And I think really going through that process with them is what taught me, is why I was able to make everything since. And we've talked about how much, you know, the the look of the short and what made it special and how we want to preserve that in the feature. Um, while we like, you know, we have a really cute, this isn't a spoiler, it's in the, it's in the short. She scalps people, which is a disgusting thing. And I think we somehow made it look very disgusting, yet still somehow glamorous at the same time. Um, but yeah, we're planning yeah, to you use the salon you made I the work in. Blood flow very jalo like. Thank you, yeah. We uh that was the whole the hope with the the look of the film and we're definitely want we're gonna keep that going for the future. Um it was a lot of fun to do that special effect, which was by a woman named Colleen Kaufman, who I've worked with a lot. And we're, we're excited to do more scalpings for the feature. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big, it's a big uh, special effect to pull off. It is not like just stabbing somebody. Holy crap! It took hours and hours and days to set that thing up. Yeah. 
and pr- pretty much ever since uh, there, I know William's been a big supporter, and the KHF guys have been a big supporter of your work ever since they first started the st- showing the size stylist. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember if, if stylist was the first thing that I had play at Knoxville Horror Film Festival. Um, it might have been. I don't know if my previous short played. But we actually won an award that year. Our, our lead actress, Najara Townsend, won Best Actress in a Short Film at Knoxville. And she won actually three other. I think we're, like, stupid lucky to be working with Najara Townsend. I don't know how we got so lucky. Um, she won four awards through her, our whole festival circuit for her performance. And two of those were at Fantastic Fest and Monster Fest, which are two of the Fantastic is like the biggest horror film festival in the United States and Monsters in Australia. And it just was the coolest experience. And I don't know if this, how the stylist could honestly exist without her. She, she is the stylist. I mean. Yeah. What's amazing to me is this year was the first year I have seen her besides the stylist and I've seen her normal. I'm like, What? That's not the same girl. <laughs> well, her hair is lighter right now, um, more blonde. You know, we have got her oh, really boy, how a she bright. Carries herself. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah the movie the style like is very little sad thing and quiet. That you think going to blow away with the wind? Yeah. Well, she's. Her, the character Claire is very reserved and shy and quiet and not a, an insecure person, which is not who Najara is in real life. Um, but she's amazing. I, I was lucky to spend the last week in London with her at Fright Fest last weekend where we kicked off the campaign and we're making lots of update videos together. And what's funny is we did talk about her hair color because you know, in the film, it's like a beautiful copper red, and we really like, that's really how I see Claire now. So I was joking with her. I'm like, so are you willing to color your hair red again for the film? Because you know how much we're going to want that to happen. <laughs> um, and as a hairstylist myself, I know how that's not a small, that's a big ask, because when you when you try to go back to blonde after being like a red or, or any darker color, it takes a lot of work. So basically, she's been working on getting it out for the last two years. I'm going to ask her just to go right back to red again. <laughs> um, but as a hairstylist, I can help her change it. So there we go. Yeah. And no, this movie wasn't taken from any personal experience she had. I mean, we really don't know if Jill scalped anybody. She could have, but we don't know about it personally. <laughs> No, no. But I have so many clients make jokes about the film. They'll, you know, they'll say, you know, like, I'll, I, I'm not taking any drinks from you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what's funny is I based a lot of, like, all this, besides the scalping itself, a lot of it around really how the salon does work. Because in a lot of salons, we all work for ourselves. So we all kind of set our own schedules. So we'll often be there by ourselves. Like I'll work plenty of evenings where I'll be the last person there with my client. And so I was like, this isn't, you know, far-fetched at all that 
she would be left there and the only two people left working. Like that happens to me all the time. Um, yeah. It was really important to me, like to make this film because like I can make this film as a hairstylist about a hairstylist. I can do it the right way instead of like making a film about a doctor and then like doing everything wrong. You know, I just, it was important to me to, to really like to, to answer every question that we had, like, well, what would a hairstylist do? How does it, how does that influence our decision with like everything? Yeah. The closest I've seen to a character based on you and any of your movies was one, one of those two girls from your film last year. Andrea. Is that yeah, it's like, up? he has dark hair, she has tattoos, and she swears like a sailor. Is that Jill? <laughs> um, <laughs> she didn't have tattoos. Are you talking about me? Yeah. Oh, I thought the dark-haired one had tattoos. Sorry. She did not, but it's funny that you did. I was kind of fried after three days. (laughs) But the language, yes, I will still stand on that one. No, you're right. Um, That film, 42 Counts, which you can actually watch right now on Alter, which is a free streaming service on YouTube and everywhere. Um, It's – or – I, I did write that character. It did have a lot of that monologue you're talking about in the start where she's ranting about her, the the person she's dating or boyfriend, or you can't really tell exactly their situation, but that came from a very personal um, thing in my life. I was exercise getting out some demons in that conversation in, in the film. <laughs> What's scary is, I can remember when there were, like, a lot of cases like that, and pretty much it got those kind of cameras banned from being sold. Well, that's what's fucked up, is you can buy... So I'll fill the listeners in a little bit. This film is about these women who discover they're being watched with, like, hidden cameras placed all over their apartment. Um and a couple of them were these, like, smoke detector. They look like smoke detectors, but they're cameras. And we actually bought actual fake smoke detector cameras on Amazon to use in the film. And when I was buying them, it, it was actually terrifying to realize, like, how anyone could buy these fucking things. Like, not just the smoke detector ones, but, like, cameras that look like buttons on your shirt, cameras that you can put on your glasses, like, tiny cameras that you could put pretty much anywhere and you would have no idea. Um, I I don't know how they can like not sell it legally, but I also don't know how they can because it seems horrifying that anyone can go on Amazon and buy a plethora of cameras and put them anywhere. Yeah, well, it does help with filmmaking too if you want to make some weird shots and you know that the part where the camera is going to be is going to be in the shot, so you can just put the smoke detector thing there and people won't notice. <laughs> well, it's not a great. Uh, quality video as you can imagine but um, we did uh, we actually used footage from those cameras in the short film we you know like the girls discover this computer in the basement with all the all the feeds coming from the apartment on the screen and we actually filmed those 
that footage that you see on the screen with the smoke detector cameras ahead of time. So we really went full on with, we really like, it was like, what would it be like to be this creepy dude who filmed these people and filmed all that footage ahead of time? Yeah. When did Wynn decide to make you one of the programmers head honchos at the fest? <laughs> head honchos. I'm going to tell him that now I'm the head honcho. Um, that is a good question. I feel like it was just before last year, which was our 10-year, Knoxville 10-year anniversary. Um, maybe it was the beginning of last summer where I first started chatting with him. Where the hell did we first start this conversation? Now I'm honestly trying to go back in time. Okay, well, we all went to, okay, now I know why. I know how this all comes together. Um, the film BFF Girls, a short film that I helped produce with the director Brian Lanano a couple of years ago. Um, William's wife, Jessica, she starred in BFF Girls. So we made that film about two, three years ago. And I saw it on through making BFF Girls, I got really close with William and Jessica. And we all met up a year later at the Chattanooga Film Festival where BFF Girls played. And then we just kept, me and William and Jessica all just stayed close. And eventually they, I don't know if I, if I offered help or if he first asked me. But I think maybe I offered, like, I wanted to first help with, like, planning kind of the social events within the festival, like the after parties or, and stuff we could do in the middle yeah. of the day. Because one of my favorite things about festivals is, like, going to them as a filmmaker is the kind of the community I get to meet every time I go to one and like that camaraderie that we all build at festivals. It's so like, you know, when you leave, you're honestly sad to leave all your friends. That's because we get to like actually spend all this time together. So first I just started like helping plan the parties and then also helped with the programming, the short programming last year. But this year I've helped a lot with the feature programming because I was able to connect us to a couple bigger films. In fact, even back to Lucky McKee, my, one of my idols who made May, we have his new film, Kindred Spirits, which I got to like help set that up, which is like, for me, actually just a geek, like as a super fan of films, I just think that's dorky and cool um, that I got to like email with his producer and get the film for us. But um, I think we have a really awesome lineup this year. One of the best oh, yeah. we've ever had. And don't worry, I'm the guy who, uh, first thing after I seen the woman, I went on the Amazon and bought and downloaded the soundtrack to it. The Woman is a dark, fucked up movie. The one thing we don't have, at, you know, that's in relation to The Woman, is that is Polly McIntosh's directorial debut this year, Darlin, which is connected to The Woman series. Um she played well, the woman. Well, that one came out way, way, way too early. I think it actually came out in March <laughs> on VOD. Um, not yet. I think it just recently came on VOD. Sorry for my coughing. Got a, got some bad allergies right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I want to see that. I got a scene. My only thing I really complained about William and teasing him is that he didn't get. Tone deaf for the festival. I know he got it this week, but I'd rather see it at the festival, damn it. Yeah. 
it's probably honestly that's not his. Is we don't get to control all of that, you know. It's a lot of the time yeah. the film the film's already out, so a lot of the distributors don't want us to wait that long. Sometimes they're like, "Well, that's a six weeks after our release." They'd rather, you know. Um, but we like for and instance, you haven't the seen Bliss. Tone Deaf, and you like Trash Flyer and his other films. Tone Deaf is great. So you have already seen it? Yeah. It's on Amazon oh, VOD awesome. right now. I bought it. Oh, shit. I've got to watch it. I'm a huge fan of Ricky Bates. Um, I really like his his style of film. Like, you know, like he somehow manages to create this weirdest tone that has, like, dark comedy and, like, it's still super dramatic and emotional and super weird, like, awesome. all at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yes, he's great at very making very uncomfortable films. I love Trash Fire and um Excision. Uh we do have a lot of really great ones this year like Bliss, which actually comes out sooner, but they let us keep you know, wait for the festival to show Bliss. Um we've got Daniel Isn't Real, which is a film I'm oh, di- I haven't one seen I yet, but I'm for. dying to see. It's it's getting just like nonstop positive feedback everywhere it plays, um, and then we've got and a, a funny title. I was just gonna say it's it's a funny film to talk about because people just think you're talking about porn, but you're like, no, it's a film called Porno. That's the title of the movie. <laughs> um, I actually just watched it a couple of days ago, and it's freaking amazing. Um, might be one of the best movies we're showing. If you ask me. But I haven't seen all of them yet, so I don't know. Um, what else are we showing? Tammy and the T-Rex. I haven't seen that. No, that's a throwback. Okay. Fingers everyone keeps talking about. I hear is crazy. Yeah. Oh, and Jill, you remember how you was talking about you needed a good crew that you can depend on? Ah, uh, yes. Here is my spare tire, the one that I depend on more than anything to screw things up. No, he's actually good when you need him. And here he is, Mr. Carl Kafer. Thank you, Stephen. How are you? All right. And we were just talking, what? starting to talk about the films at the fest, like uh, Fingers, Daniels Isn't Missing. Well, you know, you've got, of course, I'm here in the city. In New York City, so uh, unfortunately I can't come down to Knoxville. But I do have to say I heard you guys talking about Ricky Bates, and uh, I'm a huge fan. That man is just wonderful. I love Trash Fire. So, so just wanted to make sure everyone knows I'm on the same page as you guys. <laughs> Hell yeah. Continue on talking about the KHS. I'm getting the Please. list up here. There's uh, Evil Dead 4K Restoration, which that's a that's a real Knoxville thing. Jill, when it first came out, uh, the head yeah. of the Knoxville Cultural Society gave Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell 
the Young Filmmakers of the Year Award for Knoxville. <laughs> the Young Filmmakers of the Year? Yeah, now, that was young a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine a 20 and 19 year old Bruce Campbell up there getting a lore award, but looking like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> when was that? Yep. When it first came out, way back in uh, 80, 82, 83, I forget when the movie first came out. I'm going to have to make William drive me to the location of the cabin. Oh, cool. That bridge is scarier than the <laughs> cabin. I've been over it once. Oh, yeah. Is it actually an It's drivable? <laughs> I don't know. We was driving over it, and all we heard below was splash, croom, splash. Oh, God. <laughs> By the way, that's 1981. Yeah, 1981. <clears throat> a long time ago. Yeah, and In a galaxy uh, far, far away. Playing, depraved. That one I can't wait to see, Depraved. Me too. I keep missing that one at festivals. A, a Frankenstein-type film. Well, it's Larry Fassbender, if you've ever seen uh, The Last Star or any of his other films, he doesn't make what most people would call normal horror films. Well, that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And Girl on the Third Floor. Have you got to see that, Jill? I did. I just saw it at Fright Fest. I liked How it a was lot. it? It's tra- I liked it a lot. It's Travis Stevens' directorial debut. Yeah. He's produced a lot of films that you've seen, I'm sure. Um, you know, like, I don't even know where to begin. Shitloads. Yeah, and it has CM Punk in it, The Wrestler. Yeah, he's in a lot of stuff right now. He's also in Rabid, the Soska Sisters' new film. Oh, how was that? I liked it a lot. I'm I'm such a Cronenberg fanatic. I'm I'm a little skittish about that, to be honest. (laughs) Well, didn't the Soska Sisters say no to it once because they were Cronenberg fanatics, Jill? I'm not sure about that. But that's when, that, there's two big ones that William and you guys didn't get this year that it's killing me. Well, there's Rabbit, and of course, the one that I'm sitting here crying just thinking about the fact that you didn't get it is the Colorado Space. The Colorado Space? Yeah. I have not heard of that. Well, you know the story. It's from the H.P. Lovecraft story. Have you ever seen a hardware and dust devil? No. Well, you need to see those. Those are great. Richard Stanley. (laughs) And it stars Nicolas Cage. 
and, and for us, it's it's Richard Stanley. Stanley is, is a director that's very unique. He he had a, uh, a situation with the remake of the Island of uh, Doctor Moreau, the one that uh, Brando was in, and he was fired off the set. And there was actually a, uh, a documentary. I can't remember what it was called about uh, the whole so- thing. But this is his comeback, and 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 uh, uh, it's really good, as far as I'm concerned, to see him back. Uh, I I think it's a great thing. So we'll see what happens. What the story it. is but, about is this meteor, mysterious meteor crashes out of the sky, and Nicholas Cage and his family are at their farmhouse for a vacation, but then this color, that's the best way to describe it, surrounds the whole farm and starts infecting everybody. I've got to admit I am like completely have no connection to any uh, Lovecraft stuff. Um, Haven't seen any of it, read it, nothing. (laughs) Um, You haven't seen Reanimator? Well, I have seen Reanimator. That stuff isn't okay, like my okay. isn't like my go-to, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. If you had seen Reanimator, I was probably going to have to go uh, Donald Pleasant <laughs> at the end of Invasion of the Body Snatchers on you. <laughs> but yeah, and uh, the Rabbit. That's the two biggest ones that. You couldn't get that. It's like, oh man, that sucks. Now, Rabbit is that is that a remake of the Cronenberg too? Yeah. Wow, they're going they're going back into his back catalog. Interesting. It's the I first, did not uh, hear about that actually. <laughs> I think it's the first Cronenberg film to be remade, or is that not true? I feel like yeah. that's what the Sosa sisters have been posting. Right. Yeah, it is. It's the first film, the Cronenbergs, that's ever really been remade. Ideas have been taken all over the place, but that's the first film yeah. that's completely remade. I know that we did try to get it. I don't know if it's that it's coming out sooner than that. I feel like we would know if that was the case. But I can't remember why we couldn't. I do know we are pretty full with movies now. There's not any more space to show anymore. Yeah. Well, you got some good ones here. Uh, let's see. Uh, Blood Machines. That one looks great. The best way to describe it, Carl, is who's the guy that did uh, Stalker and... Uh, 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 Tarkovsky. Imagine Tarkovsky and Cronenberg did a science fiction film together. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Big fan of Tarkovsky. And particularly, uh, uh Solaris, my favorite sci-fi film of all time. I thought Tammy and the T-Rex was your favorite. <laughs> no, 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 not that one. It would be uh, uh, the one with Whoopi Goldberg. 
Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, Carl, there's a print of Tammy and a T-Rex that replaces all the gore back in it, and they're releasing it. Oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> you know, it's been playing all the festivals. Have you been saved? I haven't seen it yet. I'm kind of scared to watch that one. That's the one I'm kind of scared because the original wasn't that good. Well, you know what? Be scared. It's a horror movie festival. You need to be scared. I don't need to be scared like I was when he showed Red Christmas, man. I don't want that kind of scariness. (laughs) Be thankful you weren't there that year, Jill. (laughs) For Red Christmas? Yeah. Oh, man, what a bad friggin' film. Oh, good God. Carl thought I was insane because I called him and talking about hate fucking a movie for 20 minutes. Then I finally did get to see it. Yeah. Yeah, not a fan. Not a fan. There's, of course, for me and Carl, the main event, which is the Girdler-thon triple feature. If you haven't seen Grizzly or Manitou... Those are worth just go seeing as is. Have you seen either of those, uh, Jill? I have not. Imagine uh, Susan Strasberg with an Indian demon inside her neck. And Tony Curtis (laughs) as a psychic who calls an Indian to help him fight it. No, 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 a fake psychic who overacts like you would not believe and Burgess Meredith doing his best uh, uh, imitation of um, the character. I can't remember the name of the movie, but the, the Sentinel, that's it, of, of the character that he played in. This. It's just so batshit insane, and it's beautiful. It really is. I love that movie. Friggin' love that film. And, of course, Grizzly you're going to love. It's the best of the Jaws rip-offs from the 70s. I do need to see that. Yeah. And, well, see, like a half hour. Okay, tell us again, Jill, about your uh, Kickstarter. Where can people go to give you money to make the stylus, which they need to do? <laughs> Or else I'll come to their they house with a baseball bat, go gay and silent Bob come back on them. No, 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 no. I'll go to their house and, and tie them up and make them listen to my puns. Okay, that's it's oh scarier and not, not nearly <laughs> as violent. I don't know. They both sound scary. Well, you can go to... You can go to kickstarter.com and just search for the stylus feature film or go to my website, which is sixtape.com with two X's like Nikki Six. And we've got links to also watch all the other shorts on my site if you are interested. But, um, yeah, we're still needing to raise quite a bit more money. Or, like I said, Kickstarter is all or nothing. 
So it's all about that pressure. If we don't make this goal, we can't we can't get the budget to make the movie. So really, like every little bit helps. And she's between her and Brian Lonano, they are the two best short film directors that that consistently been shown at the. KHF, who hasn't had feature films yet, and Brian's working on one. Yeah, I'm excited for Brian to make one, too. Well, I don't know if it I'm doesn't have William in it, I'll again. be there with a sign protesting it. <laughs> if it doesn't have William in it? Yeah. William is great. And disgusting. Now, every movie <laughs> would be better with William in it. And you do need to come, if you're in an area come October, come to the Knoxville Horror Fest. Meet Jill. She'll buy, she, well, yeah, she'll be there since she's uh, the head honcho. Yeah. <laughs> William's been fired. Don't tell him. He's probably listening right now. Um, <laughs> he's fired. He'll probably just give you all the work and relax. <laughs> He'll be like, cool, Jill. Go ahead. Take over. I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, I will be there for the whole festival. I was there last year. It was so much fun. Um, we, I'm sure we're going to have all kinds of crazy parties again. My favorite was we had a karaoke party one of the nights, and it was just, like, too much fun. <laughs> we just and did we it don't right know the if K will be cinema. there, but if he is, he will sing a song, and it probably will be epic because he knows how to work a karaoke mic. He really does. I I was lucky to see J, JK at um, Bright Fest last weekend, and I was asking him if he's coming. He wasn't sure yet. He didn't know, and I was like, please come. We love you. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's the here's best. a promise. I, me and JK, he got, I got an agree with this. We will shave off the hair on top of our heads if Jill gets this movie fully funded. Hey, that, that's not fair. You're already doing that. <laughs> I agree. That's not well, fair. I love it. We, yeah. Well, thank you again, Jill, and good luck with the Kickstarter. And people, go give to the Kickstarter. Watch your short films. Uh, uh, go to the Knoxville Horror Fest. The more of these things we support, the more good things we'll get. Exactly. Hell yes. Thank you for having thank- me on the show. Okay, thank you very much. Nice. Yeah. Are we still live? Do I hang up? I don't know what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> you can hang, hang up. up. We got the rest of the show, Jill. Thank you very much for being with us. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you, guys. Okay, bye. And now we're going on to the stupid part of our show. Oh, is that because I'm here? No, it's just because at the last moment, just a whole deluge of stupid just came in today. I mean... I'll leave the smallest stupid for first. 
parents are complaining about billboards and posters. You read that article. I sent it to you. Uh, about yeah, I did. Why? Because it's scary. Yes. They're scary. And it's scaring their kids. It's a scary movie. That's what it's supposed to do. If it makes your eight or nine year old not want to see it, then that's probably That's probably a good thing, thing it's rated R. Yeah. Seriously, people. Good God. They couldn't handle seventies posters for any movie. Because no. seventy posters would tell you what kind of movie you're going to watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. Like the Gauntlet. Were you confused about what kind of movie Clint Eastwood's Gauntlet was when you seen it? No, not at all. Yeah, because he had a poster of like post nuclear, and he had a gun. And just He's I was kicking ass. Why? Why do people want the world dissanitized? Because that's exactly what they want. Yeah. I mean, I like that as a last warning. You know, warning, this film may screw your kids up. Please keep them away. You're not supposed to do that. Why not? Because it might upset my kids. Good. That's the point. But don't we always run into this? I mean, we both have stories about parents bringing kids into inappropriate movies. Uh, the The Deadpool stories are the... And, and, and you know what? That was a movie that they specifically said, don't bring kids. Yeah. Don't bring your kids. This is an R-rated movie. You'll run the fun for us big kids. Stay at home. Yeah. Exactly. Good God. Yeah, parents... Are- you know, my... my- I was just going to say my favorite story on that is I was watching Bride of Chucky. And this woman comes in with her kid. Kid's maybe about six or seven years old. Oh, he loves, and I looked at her like, do you even know what you're doing? Five minutes into the movie, there's the joke about about Chucky masturbating in the window. And like, she starts, and I looked at her, she's rushing her kid. I like, I told you. I will give her you know? defense. If you've watched Chucky 1, 2, and 3, I don't see how those movies got our ratings. Except for the first one. For crying out loud. There's how many knife killings in that? Come on. Yeah, but they don't show no blood. The worst thing in the first three is the amount of cursing in it. Well, that too. There's lots of cursing. There's yeah, but tons there's of no hurt. real violence, violence. Think about when they came out, 86 to 91. That was really when everything was pretty much neutered. Yeah, but still. You know I mean? Come on. Yeah, but I and don't think plus, that's a real... They probably watched them on USA Channel. Where you take a neutered film and make it even more neutered. 
Yeah. And and that I would. Right. And I can see that argument there. I can see that argument. But still, if the thing's rated R, what the hell are you doing? Research. Do your. That's the whole point. You research it. Yeah. I agree. I mean, if you look below an R rating or a PG-13 rating, they go into insane detail on why this movie is R rating. Like, right. once upon a time in Hollywood, drug use, violence, animal abuse, extreme cursing, sexual discussion. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be like, huh, I don't think I should take my kid there. Or dazed and confused. Extreme drug use. Bullying. Cursing. Yep. Exactly. I don't blame the movies. I blame the parents. I mean, <laughs> oh, I do too. I, I'm with you on that. 100% I'm with you on that. They're selling a horror film. Let them sell a horror film. And the posters are freaking gorgeous. Yeah, they are. And to be honest, I'll tell you something. Uh, the first movie in that series, uh, Chapter 1, I thought was actually rather good. Yeah. I But yeah, I mean, really, you got to really pay attention to that. I mean, people watch over your kids. We've talked about this before. Uh, well, I talked about before on Kevin's show. Back when we were kids, probably with you too, let's say that you were outside and you started raising hell, cursing, or acting like an asshole. Let's just say the person that lived three down, three houses down from you would see it. What would they do? Tell your parents. Yeah, call your parents, call your mom, and you catch crap when you come back home. And we and they, and you know everybody watched over everybody. Hmm. Yep. And nowadays, kids have burner phones, so their parents really won't know what the hell they're texting or doing online. Yep. And plus, my generation and generation above, below mine and younger, we're some shitty-ass parents. Yep. You know, don't think my, you know, my parents didn't know everything I was doing. Trust me on that. But, yeah. But they certainly kept an eye on me. They did the best they could. I was a pretty smart kid. I got away with a lot of shit, but yeah. Well, if it's between getting you in trouble or just not having to hear your explanation, I can I can see their point of view on that. Yeah. Like, God damn, I gotta sit here a whole fucking hour listen to his fucking reason. 
Dog, dog. Well, you know what? They did let me argue. They did let oh, me argue God. back in the day. In fact, my parents gave me uh, three years in a row, gave me attaché cases thinking I'd be a lawyer. I'm not <laughs> kidding. And like I said a joke earlier, and it's true, it's like if you had a poster of you standing there with some cheese eating it, and the parents will be complaining, would you take that poster down around town? Why? It's making my kid want to eat cheese. I don't want my kid to eat cheese, and I don't want anything that says that he can eat cheese around. Well, and I just say, Jesus Christ. No, sorry. Yeah, it's <laughs> that was the same argument, but If your kid's going behind your back and just never doing what they're saying, it's not the kid. It's you. You know, and and the other thing is, it's, you know, you're going to get things out there that are going to influence your kids, whether you like it or not. So you have to be, as a parent, you have to be the main influence. And that takes work, people. Yeah. It does. That's part of your job as a parent. And did your father really think that you watching westerns westerns with him would influence you to like other kinds of westerns later in your life? Probably not, because I always complained. But it, it, but it turned did. out later. Yeah, I did like some of them. Yeah, and you, and you, because your dad's such a Western fanatic, you got a main line to the stuff you did like. Your father didn't like it, but he was so, he loved Western so much he'd try anything. So you got, boom, you got hooked into the acid Western. You got hooked into the spaghettis. Mm-hmm. You influence your kids by every little. Thing that you do. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? You know, I mean, I'm teaching at a conservatory right now, a little private conservatory where I am in Queens. And, uh, you know, as a teacher, I try to influence them, which is, you might think that's scary, but, you know, when it comes to music and that, you get them to listen to other things, get them to appreciate other types of music which I think is really important. So, you know, we all have a chance to influence the younger generations in a positive way. Yeah. Well, and it's like his article that he was telling me about. It said something like 60% of the people or something like that who play music are musically illiterate. Oh, well, well, that's a whole thing. I'm actually going to do a show on that. Well, Uh, tell people what that means, being musically illiterate. Well, well, okay, so musical literacy has gone down by quite a percentage over the last three, four decades. There are a couple reasons for that. One is the cutting of music programs, but because back in my day, at the high school, there were four choirs. There was uh, an orchestra. There was a concert band. There was a marching band. 
uh, uh, all these, uh, there was a jazz band. So you had all these opportunities. The second thing is that the, that pianos, uh, you do have some electronic keyboards, but pianos are, are no longer a big focus in, in, in uh, 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 houses and things like that. So that's one part of it. Another part of it is the popular music that is being written these days and produced for the young people. Uh, there's a large percentage of what is popular that is basically written by two people. I don't have my notes in front of me, so I can't tell yeah. you exactly and who it is. Plus, uh, guys like Zappa and a lot of the great ones could learn, could play music by ear. Oh well, well, no, no. Actually, it's the other way around. Certainly, improvisation in that's very important, but particularly in jazz following the chart, knowing the, the chord progressions and all that, knowing yeah, theory. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And, Everybody and nowadays, when they play guitar or anything, they try to just play it by ear. They don't write it down. No, not, like, at, all. Was in not bent, at all. He was in music print. That, that's where they use nowadays, print music. And, of course, for those people that are listening, uh, I sold print music for over 30 years. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know this stuff rather well. Uh, yeah. and, and so I've been talking to my classes. I do three classes up there for music theory. And I've uh, uh, been talking to them about it and, and, and that and really, like, opened some eyes. And, and also the third thing, which we really didn't get into, was because you have two people writing most of these songs for Ariana Grande and and all these other people, that there isn't the the, the differences in stylisms out there that you could hear in the seventies and the eighties. Would you, you hear George uh, Clinton play a recorded backing music live? Uh, no. I couldn't see that. Not backing. I mean, he he certainly had a band that could back him up for a solo or something like that. But yeah. I think you're talking more like Muzak or something like that, right? Well, no, that's how a lot of concerts are done today. They have the backing band as a recorded track. Oh, and, gotcha, and, gotcha. Now I understand what you mean, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. Or James Brown, hell. There's that, always that infamous James Brown stories that Bootsy Collins told where he would fine his band members if they fucked up the beat. Yeah. And Frank Zappa may be the most musically literate person I've ever heard stories about that he could take a piece of sheet music and be able to play it within five minutes. Well, the big thing with him was He would just have to read the music once or twice, and he'd already know to be, you know. Well, well, most of his people were, were, were had that ability because he looked for that ability. But the interesting thing about Zappa was his ear. 
Uh, Weasel Zappa tells a story <clears throat> that a band of his was down in the recording uh, section of, 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 of his estate, and uh, they were playing very, very loud. Dweezil goes down and starts to listen, and Frank cuts him off, goes to the bass player. You screwed up on this, you know, two notes here, one note here, and these measures. You, the drummer, you missed the beat, and you missed half a beat here. And, like, Dweezil's like, his mouth is on the floor because Frank could hear all this and hear the mistakes. That's a pretty amazing thing to have that type of ear, trust me. And they don't even try that nowadays. No. You know, and, and I don't, I I certainly give Taylor Swift some uh, uh, credit. And when she says she writes her own, own songs, uh, that's somewhat true, not completely. Because she uh, she may write the lyrics, but when she plays it on guitar, she has no idea how to write it down. She depends on other people to do that and do the copying and do the arranging. She just basically has the the idea in her head, and then somebody's got to write it down and do all the arranging. So, you know, she might think of the song and write it, but she doesn't write it down. Therefore, she has to depend on other people, and it's not the same thing as if you can write down your own thoughts. <clears throat> it's like being able to speak English but not write it down. Okay? It's like one time I heard these people arguing, and this one guy said, well, I can speak the language. And the guy looked at him and said, yes, but do you understand it? Right, exactly. Exactly. And that's the problem. You got these two people putting out these generic beats and stuff like that, and... That's what. Yeah, and, and they borrow, they what, borrow, and, and they make it real simple, and they there's no innovation, there's none of that, and, and that's yeah. another thing. Anyway, I think enough of this because I actually really want to do a show on this. I'm trying to find oh, yeah, somebody. Oh yeah, I'm for just this. going bare bones into it. It's like people are wondering why Disney are remaking all their own musicals into live action. That's easy. They know the beats, they know what works, and they know that it will sell. They don't give well, a shit about anything besides those three things. It's and all about sales. Music is, music is about selling right now. It's not about inspiration. <laughs> you can say that about most movies. Yeah. <laughs> and most movies of the 70s, and definitely the music... The album sounded like live takes, like a live album, rather than something cooked up and overproduced in the studio. Very true. Very true. And the next thing is, we love your boots. We think that more people, and we would force them to watch, uh, what is it, 
sorry for bothering you. Sorry to bother you. Yeah, sorry to bother you. That is one of the most meanest, beautiful satires since about advertising and stuff. Since mm-hmm. Putney Swope. You need to see this. Watch it. It's good. It's mean. It's funny. It has horse cock. Yeah, it does. He's not kidding. He's not kidding. Not joking on that one. And it's rather huge. <laughs> and it and he said today, and it made me want to cry. He said that Quentin Tarantino should be ashamed of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because he did not cons. He didn't. He that he should have called the Manson family white supremacists. No, they were not that smart. The only one with a brain between all of them was Manson, and he had their brains like in the mush. No, you see, it wasn't. It wasn't really about white supremacy at all. I mean, there was an issue with the Black Panthers, but. But it was more about mind control. It was more about getting the people under his thumb doing what he wanted to do and becoming a mastermind and being able to do, you know, do these things. Now, maybe he wanted to incite a a, a race war, but, you know, that's really, really kind of stretching it. You know, uh, it's really kind of weird. But it is much more about the psychology of these yeah. people. It's also about the death of the innocence of the 60s or the purported innocence. Yeah. You know, it's not about the white supremacy angle at all. He wasn't, I mean, you're calling someone a white supremacist with a plan to make white superior who was teaching his followers that a song about riding down a fucking carnival slide at a fucking amusement park in Britain was a song about the race war? Yeah. If it's you all about manipulation. Follow that bullshit, then you own their mind. Yeah. You know, to me, Manson is more akin to someone like Jim Jones, uh, someone who is a religious fanatic and a cult leader. Another, he he had a cult. The family was a cult. Under his control. That's what it's about. Well, all I gotta say is, what was Manson doing before he hooked up with the family? Well, he, he was a failed musician. No, he was a pimp. Well, that too. He used pimpology on them. There's yeah. no white supremacy in pimpology. It's like you do what I say, I'll take care of you. I got I got your back. I'll do everything I can for you. You know I love you. You need to love yeah. yourself, baby. Yeah. The whole point of the Manson family once upon a time in Hollywood is to take the piss out of them, make them look like idiots. Yeah, I agree. 
like uh, the whole people in Greaser's, let's go to Greaser's Palace. Everyone that's not Alan Arbus in that movie. <laughs> Complete assholes. Yeah. yeah. And it makes them look like idiots. Yeah. Or Frank Zappa's, we're only in it for the money. Yep. But why do you... I know that he probably wants to be as black as Spike Lee, but just let your work show what you got to say. Don't say stuff that's going to get the people that don't like you to be able to go, you're a stupid idiot. Because I want to see your next film. I want it to be as funny and as mean as your first one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. If you have not seen Sorry to Bother You, you need to trust me on that. Wonderful film. And we need more mean comedy nowadays because people are getting too pissed off. There was another fucking shooting today in Texas. What, after Odessa? Or are you talking Odessa? Odessa was yesterday. Yeah, Odessa. Odessa was yesterday. But still, one week, yeah. Yeah. We would go watch movies in the 70s, like uh, Carnal Knowledge, uh, Five Easy Pieces. Uh, Name some other ones that was basically made mean so we could just let the steam out, you know. Oh, catch twenty two. Someone else was just pissed off about the same shit that we are, and that kind of let's go. Oh, I'm not alone. Oh, catch catch twenty two is another one. Yeah. Um, you know, mash. Yeah. There are a bunch of them, man. But yeah, I mean, really. Another one which we'll review sometime next week, because I'm not going to do this without Carl. No way. I, mm. I'd i cut my foot off with a samurai sword first, and that is we're going to be doing a review of Tone Death. And it's Ricky Bates, and it's a... This is my short, tiny review of it, one sentence. It's a fuck you to the millennials and the baby boomers. And the rest of the uh, uh, generations in between are just sitting back on the sidelines enjoying the show. Yeah. Yeah. And now we got to get to the ugliest part. Did you read that stupid Joker review I told you to? Yeah, I have some things to say about that, but we'll let you start. Okay. This guy, I don't know what the fuck he was at when he wrote it. It just seemed like he was doing his best to be the town asshole. It was like he was using every fucking catchword, buzz frame, topic of uh, 
social justice warriors to shit on the film. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he could. And he even mentions that in the review, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Oh, now, it's loading for me, so give me a second. I'm getting to it now. All the reviews of it that have come out says that it's a dark, nasty film about a creepy guy like, uh, well, the two biggest things that keep dropping, and I see them, is The King of Comedy and Taxi Driver, which was Martin Scorsese's two films about very weird, creepy guys who go over that edge. And I'm in the mood for something that dark. Yeah, I, and I can see that. Now, I don't know why this damn thing is not loading. But all I'm getting to is the shadow and act part of it. It's not giving me the damn article. Uh, but if you have the article in front of you, Stephen, go to the final, final bit. And oh, the one about uh, the, what no, 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 listen to me. Go to the final part of it, and at the end of the article, it'll tell you who this guy is and what he does. Read that. Okay, I'm getting there. And the title of the article is, oh, oops. Now it's got, okay, it's in front of me now. Hold on. I can get to it. It wasn't like loading for me. Yeah. Tell them what the title of the article is. Well, now i got to get to the front of it. The joke's on us. Racism, ableism, and more in the new Joker trailer. Okay. And so here you go, and you talk about, you know, he talks about all these things in here. But I want you to read, I want you to listen to this. Robert Jones Jr. is a writer from Brooklyn, New York. He's the author of the forthcoming novel, The Prophets, from Putnam Books. He's written for numerous publications, including New York Times, Essence, OK Africa, The Feminist Wire, and The Griot. He is the creator of the social justice social media community, Son of Baldwin, which can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter. What you need to do, Stephen, you need to, on Facebook or on Twitter or one of those, go to Son of Baldwin. Y'all think this article is crazy? See, one of the things that Stephen and I, well, okay, what I have a problem with this is I'm not really arguing what he says here, but I'm arguing why he says it, okay? The one problem I have with SJWs, instead of facing racism in the real world, they find things in film and, and things like that 
and they try to find everything that is racist or that they perceive is racist in film. And so he goes into how the black characters are treated and that. And he does so because they're black. But one of the things, one of the great quotes that I have on this comes from Sigmund Freud, who said, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. You know, it could be a casting Uh. decision. It could be a number of things. But, you know, if you go looking for, you know, uh, uh, racism, you'll find it because you perceive you see it instead of really seeing it in the real world. Yeah. And his his thing is, and a lot of them are, is they make their money off being offended and finding racism and finding other types of horse poo shit. That's what they make their money off of. If they go and have a good day and doesn't find anything to offend them, unlike us who dance an Irish jig and are glad and celebrate, he gets pissed because if he doesn't find anything racist, he doesn't get paid. Well, you know, but look where he finds the racist things. Not in the real world, but in entertainment. Let me tell you something. What really pisses me off about this article is I have a very close friend of mine here in New York who uh, was attacked on Thursday. He's Orthodox Jewish. I'm not going to give his name. but uh, And it was a hate crime. <laughs> he doesn't say that it's a hate crime, but there's no question because... Being an Orthodox Jew, you can tell you're Jewish, right? So he was attacked by two black men. Okay? And and, uh, so he posted this. And then the social justice warriors went to him and said he was racist because he called out two attackers as black. And yet I can guarantee you that if they were there, there were some people there that 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 ran to help him, and luckily the uh, you know that was enough for the uh, two people to run off. But you know these people that look for racism, they see it in the real world. They'll probably run screaming away from it because they don't know how to handle it in real life. And it's so easy that's to my talk biggest. Shit. What? Say that again. It's easy to talk shit. Right. But to do something about it, when you see it in the real world, that's my big problem here. You can have all the... Gregory wrote about it in uh, Nigger. He talked about how he would see the racist in the movie and on TV and on the news. He'd be like, yeah, I go up to these motherfuckers. You know, I go to these motherfuckers. They talk shit to me. I like getting their face and stuff. And he said the first mm-hmm. time he seen a real racist down south, mm-hmm. he said he was scared so much that he didn't even say a word, just yes, sir, and no, sir. Yeah. But the scene that he's calling racist is it has the Joker, Arthur Fleck, the guy who becomes the Joker, 
making funny faces and making the kid laugh. And then the black mother looks at him and goes, would you please stop bothering my children? Yeah. And that could be any mother. You know? Yeah. You know, you look for it, you can find it. If you really want to find racism, you can find it anywhere because you perceive it to be such. You are, and it, it's like you're a magnet and everything. The psychiatrist that fails the Joker is black. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I'm not saying that it's interesting that these characters are black and, 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 and maybe you can perceive it to a certain degree. But you know what? You know, it's like you really want to see racist and, and homophobic stuff? Look at the movies from the 70s. You look at these SJWs, you know, that, that go all after this stuff. Have him sit down, strap him in a chair, let him watch Freebie and the Bean and Busting and, and, no. and the French Connection. No. Let's see how they, they react to that. No. No? Let him watch Group Wedding and Partners. <laughs> if I'm going to go there, I'm going to go there. Right. <laughs> Yeah, really. But the casual the casual use of the N word, the casual homophobia in, in the seventies was rampant. Now I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but it reflected the stories and the attitudes of the time. You always yeah, have we to are look honestly at back to the casual racism. And the casual homophobia. Yeah, we're getting there. No question. I agree. No, we're already there. When uh, the Republicans and now President Trump are praising that woman for not get, not selling a cake to this gay couple who are getting married. I know. I know. I'm not a social justice warrior. I just want, I just believe that there, it's stupid to hate somebody based on their skin, based on how they fuck. People like, well, I don't want, I don't like watching gay people walking down the street kissing on each other. Hell, do you even like watching straight people walking down the street making out while walking, Carl? Not particularly. Yeah, it's just... This movie's going to be mean and nasty and push all the wrong buttons, and they don't like that. It won't make me feel good. Well, you know what? There is something... Now, now, there's one other thing I want to talk about here. Dave Chappelle has a new comedy special out on Netflix. And uh, there is something about 
making people uncomfortable that is actually beneficial, particularly if it's done in an intellectual way. If you take a look at comedy and the really good comics, they use their platform to point out social ills, to point out uh, uncomfortable truths. And these days, there's a real dearth of that. We're we're missing that in a lot of people. And there was an article in the um, LA Times, I think it was, that was praising uh, Chappelle for doing what he's doing and, and making people uncomfortable on an intellectual level. And, and I think that can really lead to change. No, you know, I watched it. It goes too far. What? Go, say that again? I watched uh, Dave Chappelle's special, especially the clips they pointed out. He goes too far. It goes from funny into just fucking mean. But you know what? Sometimes... I'm not saying I'm not saying I would like that because even at his most pointed, I don't believe that Bill Hicks was mean or that Lenny was mean or that Richard no, Pryor was, was mean. Never mean. But Dave Chappelle, one of the jokes is, well, if faggots, if faggots and, tra- and those trannies didn't want me to make fun of them, then they should stop me from writing so many jokes about them. Yikes. That's yeah. uncomfortable. You got to admit, that's uncomfortable. Oh, it's uncomfortable, but like I said, there's always a line. Like, who's that, the gay guy, who's a comedian, Eddie Izzard from England? Yeah, uh-huh. He said he was dressed up in a dress and full makeup, and this guy come up to him and he said, Are you a faggot? And he says, well, what makes you think that? The makeup or the fact that I'm going to be fucking you up the ass later tonight? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sometimes mean is good. Yeah. I, I, I think my favorite one comes from Bill Hicks. is doing a, a, a show down in Arkansas or Alabama somewhere. Mm. And he, he did a joke about, you know... Uh, conservative Christians and he gets approached by, by two guys later hey buddy we didn't like what you said uh, we're Christians and so Chip Bell X said then forgive me <laughs> beautiful if you want to see what we're talking about by good main comedy from this generation Go back 20 minutes. Okay. Right, Carl? Well, are we talking sorry to bother you, or which one yeah. are we talking about? Sorry yeah, to bother you. If you want to see what good, mean-spirited satire comedy is, go back 20 minutes and just go watch Sorry to Bother You. Mm-hmm. Then go back about 40 years or so and go see Putney Swope. Well, I was just talking one from this decade. 
because those films yeah, speak know. more to the social justice warriors than the stuff mm-hmm. back then where you'd have to give them like a 20-minute history lesson of why this is a good thing. Well, still, if you watch those commercials and watch a lot of that stuff from Putney Swope, you still get it, even today. Trust me. And irony, they're showing it this next month of September at Central Cinema. Nice. I'd like to see that on a big screen. It's been a long time. I saw it in the 80s in New York when I was here in the 80s. Um, great film. But who was but, you know, who said that? We've said it a million times on here. You can say anything you want, any joke that you want, as long as it's funny. Absolutely. Absolutely. But number one this week at the box office, it's still the same. I'm amazed. Uh, uh, the third one of Olympus is down is still number one. I want to see Angel is Falling. Yeah, Angel's Falling is number one. And pretty much uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is now officially Tarantino's biggest box office hit. Nice. Even though it's racist against Blue Flea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm like, motherfuckers, have you not seen Bruce Lee, His Final Days? <laughs> no, the one I love is Bruce Lee uh, 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 rises from hell and, like, fights Hitler or whatever that one is. Oh, yeah, that one... Yeah, if you want to see a bullshit Bruce Lee movie, it's got Bruce Lee who teams up with Popeye, Indiana Jones, uh, Pam Greer, and someone else to fight James Bond. (laughs) And Hitler's in there somewhere. Yeah, Hitler's in there somewhere. (laughs) But yeah, people, it's Labor Day. Relax. Enjoy yourself. Go see a movie. You know, have fun. Don't hate. Let's just not hate anybody or anything this weekend. Yeah. Please. And don't shoot nobody. For one week, just nobody shoot nobody. And don't make the cops shoot you either. This suicide by cop is bullshit. Agreed. What he said. (laughs) <laughs> and eat a bunch of hot, and eat a bunch of hot dogs, hamburgers, or steak or whatever you eat, and just celebrate it because the summer's over and it's been over too damn quick. And thank Agreed. you again for Gilda showing up, and thank you again, Carl, for being a backup. And I'm, I'm always I'm a, I'm always glad to be on your show, Stephen. Thank you very very much for having me. And to quote one of the most inspirational songs ever. Always look on the bright side of life. Life's a bunch of shit, and that's the end of it. You're born, you're fucked, you're dead, you're rotted, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Always, always look on the bright side of life. Good night. And always remember, make the best of the time that you have here. Give somebody, give somebody a... Wanted a hug, but you haven't hugged a hug. Be appreciative of the family, real and fake. 
but most of all, just appreciate being alive and not being homeless out on the street. Good night, exactly. everybody. Good night. Thank you much, Stephen. <laughs>